We catch up with the leader of the National Party, which this week is Christopher Luxon. Morning, Christopher. G'day, John. How are you today? <laughs> Good. You were also leader last week and the week before, and uh, <laughs> obviously leader for the uh, foreseeable, days, yeah. for this foreseeable future. Um, so your first poll out yesterday, you're up 6.4 points, so 32.6%, but at the expense of ACT. How hollow is that progress, do you think? Well, look, I mean, it's very early days. I've been in the job 14 days. Um, it's a positive and encouraging start, but, you know, frankly, there's a lot more work to do and, you know, I don't really pay too much attention to it. My job right now is to get the National Party really focused um, on opposing the government, but more importantly, actually proposing, you know, really sensible, pragmatic, you know, practical ideas that uh, we can present to the New Zealand people in the coming years. You so, haven't, you haven't um, created a dent... Over summer. Yeah, you haven't created a dent to Labour so far, though. Why do you think that is? Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, as I said to you, we've got a lot to do and we've got to be able to reach out to the 413,000 people that I keep talking about that have left us uh, and we've got to get them to consider us as a, a really viable alternative government uh, and that's going to take some time and it's going to take some work. And um, But that's started and then I can tell you, you know, within caucus here, we're off to a good start uh, and it's important because, you know, we've made it all about ourselves in recent years, not about the New Zealand people and, and I'm determined to make that so the legislation that uh, the National Party worked on with Labor before you became leader, that was passed last night, which means that developers in certain parts of the country, including Christchurch, can now build three three-storey properties on one section without resource consent. I, I, I recall back to when you became leader, I think you had a question mark over that at the time, did you? Yeah, so I mean, what happened was, you know, we'd entered in good faith to the government because we actually are really interested in making sure we get enduring housing solutions in this country. It is completely crazy that we live in a place the same size as Japan and Great Britain, and yet we have house prices, and without all that population density, we have house prices that are much, much higher. And so, you know, we have a major problem in housing in this country. It's a major issue. You know, over 50-plus percent of New Zealanders are really concerned about it for their kids and for their grandkids as well as themselves. And so it was a good, you know, we wanted to enter in a constructive, good faith way with the government to do that. Having said that, I then had some serious concerns as I started to hear the select committee, and we did as a team, uh, and we heard from residents, we heard from local government, we heard from other experts. And the good news is that we were able to work through with the government, make sure we put, you know, there was another 50 pages of legislative amendments that were you know, made uh, in order to make sure that we, you know, lower the height to ratio, you know, boundary ratio, make sure that we build in proper design uh, standards and specifications and make sure that we also give local government much more discretion uh, and flexibility as well. And I think we got the balance about right. So, um, you know, we've got to build houses in this country um, and um, we've got to be able to do that by expanding cities as well as, in some cases, densifying in places where it makes sense. We've been discussing on the show this morning and the intensification bill was, was part of the conversation, discussing um, the perceptions that central government is pushing or squeezing the control of local government to the sort of perimeters of uh, influence. Do you think central government is trying to take over local gov local government? I have to say, I think this government has revealed its colours in the last you know, couple of years, and it's got you know very much into a mindset of centralisation and control. And I think you know you're seeing that today. I'm I'm been driving you know before I took on the leader role as responsible for local government. I've been driving this. You know, push opposing the three waters um, asset grab and today we've actually got several mayors including Dan Gordon and others actually coming to Parliament so I'm, I'm catching up with them there here as well but you know I am concerned about that because fundamentally you know I think we've got a 1970 system that we've sort of band-aided and number eight wired uh, and we are where we are today and essentially if you're local government 
because you incur all the costs up front uh, and you, you actually end up being positioned as anti-development. And if you're central government, you get all the tax revenues quite early, uh, whereas local government has to spend the costs and get the pipes there and the roads there and they might get some rates. Um, you know, the model and the incentives aren't right. And so we need a different way of thinking where actually central and local government can work together on the four or five biggest infrastructure challenges that would move people's, you know, make pe improvements to people's lives. And they'll be different in the Hawke's Bay than they will be on the West Coast. That'll be different from what you have in Christchurch. So, um, you know, I'd love us to think about how we can do, you know, more sub-regional plans. And it might be one region's got a whole bunch of work on climate mitigation, adaptation, three waters, roading, a school, a hospital, whatever it is. But, you know, I want to see the central and local government ultimately working together. And that's why this work around the future of local government is actually the, the seminal and more strategic piece of work to get sorted before we go into a, a conversation around uh, three waters. If you've got, though, but if you've got 20-odd councils coming together and launching a campaign, they're calling communities, communities for local democracy, that, that tells you there's a problem, doesn't it? It does. It does tell you this problem. And, you know, and there's also tells you a problem when only 40% of people bother to vote in local government elections as well. So, you know, there has to be a new model emerge that actually sets the country up for the 2030s and beyond. And um, that's a bit of work that I think is ultimately, uh, you know, it's why I've got you know, infrastructure with Simon Bridges on finance, for example, because building houses, getting transport projects done, three waters, um, you know, local government, uh, we have to dream up and think about different funding models. And having travelled the world and spent a lot of time on study tours and other small advanced economies, you know, I can tell you in places like Denmark and Ireland and Israel and Switzerland and Singapore, there's lots of different ways of doing this same problem that other places encounter. So, you know, we believe that local decisions are best made locally with local communities. I think there's a, you know, that you actually get good execution. When you look at the government, you know, we've had problems with tertiary education and polytechnics being all merged into one. We're seeing a healthcare system get merged into one. Uh, we're seeing three waters get merged into four entities. Um, you've seen a COVID response that was pretty poor initially, particularly getting to our communities that were more challenged with, with vaccination rates because they didn't devolve and, and empower uh, local community organisations or local government to get that job done. So, okay. yeah, I think you raise a good point. I know you've got to move on. Just this uh, report that came out yesterday, Auditor General, on the Ministry for Social Development putting homeless people in some, some pretty undesirable private rental accommodation. Um, do you yeah. see much changing given the fact that we have a, a real shortage of rental properties in New Zealand? Yeah, well, we do. I mean, the challenge here is that, you know, this, this is the Auditor General sort of really slamming uh, MSD on sort of the emergency housing rentals that they were paying for and essentially properties that would normally be rented between 450 to 560 a week. You know, the MSD ended up paying anywhere from two to $3,000 per week. And so there's, 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 there's two points you're sort of raising. One is fundamentally, you know, wasteful spending and realising this is taxpayers' money and actually, you know, paying over the odds and paying five times the market rate isn't smart. Uh, but equally, it points to the fact that we've got 4,000 families in emergency accommodation. You know, it's supposed to be a 12-week kind of deal. It's often getting, you know, creeping up in some cases up to six months to 12 months. And the National Party isn't... The National Party isn't... The National Party isn't blameless, though, is it? Because some people would assert that it created the or had a had a hand in creating the housing crisis. I think it's been a challenge uh, over successive governments for some time in New Zealand, and I think it's because we don't do very good strategic planning. Uh, and um, you know, and really, it, as you say, we've got big challenges on emergency housing. We've got you know fourth times increase in wait lists for state housing. You've got rents up over thirty percent. You've got house prices going up in similar fashion, uh, and we've got challenges in all those four domains of housing and so it is a big problem and it's going to take some time to sort it out but 
you know, the hope is actually, you know, I watched Christchurch post-earthquake, right? I mean, if you think about all those developments down in Rolleston and, and up towards Rangiora, um, you know, we managed to crash through the regulation and actually build houses in two and a half years. And houses prices in Christchurch, when you know demand outstrips supply uh, and then supply caught up, you know, house prices only appreciated two percent a year. The rest of the country, you know, they appreciated closer to double digits. So there is. Yeah, I think I think I think fixing houses was was another story though, Christopher. But we can talk about that another day. Sure. Okay. Hey, uh, last catch-up of the year. What are you doing for Christmas, New Year? Um, well, to be honest, John, a lot of um, work now. Uh, this wasn't the plan 14 days ago. Uh, and so um, really it's a lot about spending time with the team, getting planned, getting organised for next year. But I will take a chance to um, come down to Christchurch and catch up with family uh, on Christmas uh, around Boxing Day. You're allowed to now. So any time from yeah, right exactly. now, you can, you can come here. <laughs> Yeah. Hey. No, well, actually, I was actually down there the other day. I went and visited Christchurch Boys High and went and spoke to the different you know, principals across the different schools in Christchurch to get a sense of what's happening in education and what's working well and what's not working well. So um, no, it's always a good chance to come home. All right, have a good break. It's been a big year and we'll talk in the new year.